Well, it just trips me up. That's funny. All right, let's try one more time. Peculiarity. Does that sound better? 100%. 100% perfect, yeah. Okay, now, you say it. Okay, let's see which one of us says it better. Peculiarities. There we go. Peculiarities. It needs to be a U arity. U arity. You already. You, you already. There we go. Okay, never there mind. You go. know what? This is this is why you're gonna host, and I'm just gonna talk physics. Oh man, that'll be good. That'll be a good intro. I, I recorded some of that, so that'll be great. Oh great, great. Um, so anyway, the 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 abnormalities that came out of it is a great intro. So a guy I used to work with um, by the name of uh, Jim Gates, um, I TA for him at University of Maryland. He worked on he works on theoretical string theory. And he made this discovery that made uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson sort of like shocked. And that was that he found computer code embedded in the equations of string theory that do this sort of error correcting. Um, And so that is obviously very peculiar and makes us think that maybe there's some, is there simulation, you know, like leads us directly into our next topic. So I think this is why this is, that'll be a great outro. And then we'll talk about the, you know, we'll cover that in, in future podcasts. Okay, great. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. We'll say that for the, for the podcast here, because I I have questions about that. Self-correcting. Amazing. Um, Great. And then I guess as usual, it'll just be kind of a general follow-up for a YouTube live or Zoom live or something at some point soon. Yep. Cool. Yeah. We'll send this to Amy and Blake. And um, I think, as I mentioned last time, might make most sense to do those. You know, I'll talk to, I'll just mention it to both of them if they want it separately or or together. Um, But this could be a cool thing for us to carry through and maybe have Claiborne spit out some money for this budget, right? It'd be a way for us to partner with schools yeah. and you and I can get a little bit of extra cheddar on this. Yeah, I was going to say this, this has potential for, yeah, for popularity, I think, especially in the high school age kids or even middle school age kids. Yeah. And it's fun. And that's the best part about it. Yeah. Peculiarities. 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 Hey, I... I there you go. That was that was pretty good. That was, that was pretty good. Just say it fast. Peculiarities. Peculiarities. <laughs> I'm real. Words are weird. <clears throat> uh, all right. You want me to count us down? Let's do it. All right. Let's do this in <clears throat> three, two, one. And hello again, everybody. It's been a couple weeks since you saw us last. Um, we're back again with another fantastic podcast on physics today we're talking about string theory which which we'll get into in a moment but again string theory tends to be the sort of the forgotten stepchild of physics it seems like i heard of it i've heard of string theory but i've never like i've never heard people like give an in-depth explanation on it whereas like quantum computing you know that that seems to come up pretty often so excited to learn more about that lee welcome how are you doing today Doing very well. Doing very well. Always love our discussions of physics. And uh, yeah, it always seems to invoke a lot of interesting questions, both from you and and some of the viewers and listeners. Sure. Yeah. And so again, speaking of listeners, if you're new to our channel, don't forget to like or subscribe. What what else should they do? Smash that like button. Smash the like button. Now, again, be careful if it's like a new computer 
you know, maybe a little bit softly just in case you break it. But if you feel like it, smash the like button. Um, and again, as always, if you have any questions, uh, leave a comment in the comment box below. And as usual, we love answering fun, interesting questions by our listeners. Those are some of the best questions we've, we've gotten so far. Okay. So, so far we've, well, how about this? This might work well. Let's, let's give like a brief review of the, of the issues we've covered. Cause again, if you're watching this video for the first time and you haven't watched any of the other videos, first off, go watch the other videos, spend your whole day. You're going to have a blast. But secondly, if for some reason you don't want to spend your whole day watching all the other videos, you can still watch this video. We'll refer to things that we've talked about before, um, but it's not like you need the other videos to have any idea what's going on here. Uh, so Lee, maybe you wanted to give us just a quick review of maybe the main topics we've covered so far in our podcast series. Uh, you know, we, we do work at a test prep company, Josh. Maybe we can make it a multiple choice uh, test for our, our listeners or... Mm. Because uh, everybody loves standardized tests. No. Yeah, yeah. It, there's one thing the world needs more of. It's more standardized tests. I think. <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> um, well, we covered uh, we covered a lot of the the main aspects of of things that are actually going to be foundational to our discussion today. So we started off uh, with your fascination, which is you are fascinated with singularities. So we started off with gravitational singularities. So we talked a lot about gravity and what happens as very massive objects start to collapse on themselves and form uh, gravitational singularities, which are called black holes. Um, we then moved on to discussing the weirdness of quantum mechanics, you know, things like how can it be a particle and a wave? Um, you know, how is it that, that there could be this, uh, you know, superposition of multiple states um, you know, how is it that electrons can go through two doors at once? One electron, you know, there's, there's just a lot of things that happen in quantum mechanics that just didn't, you know, don't resonate with our classical minds. Um, we did a, a whole segment on, on time. Uh, and I mm. think that's, you yeah. know, covering time and quantum mechanics and, and, and gravity really is discussing what we observe and, and some of the things that we find most interesting in the world. So really thinking about the, the forces in nature and, and how we interact with them has been, the I think, the main uh, subject of our, of our podcast. Yeah, and one thing that's really stuck out to me with this is I remember in school when I had a physics class, uh, it, it was presented as like, here's what an atom is, right? And then here's what's composed of an atom. And then here's some, here's some uh, equations on, on, you know, gravity or things like that. But there's so many, there's so many avenues of physics that, you know, almost on like the, the, the like final frontier, right? Of, of human exploration. There's so many things that are just, what, I mean, if you watch any of our videos, they're just basically on some level, they're very mysterious. They're very fascinating. Quantum, yeah, quantum uh, physics, it's easy, not easy, but it's, it's somewhat easy to kind of comprehend on an elementary level. But if you start asking questions, it's, it, it just blows your mind. So very fascinating topics. One thing that I don't think has blown my mind before is string theory. Now, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll be able to blow my mind today with string theory, possibly. Um, but yeah, anything else before we dive straight into the topic today, Lee? No, I think um, I think that's a, it's a pretty good background, and I, I think we're ready to start trying to figure out what what string theory is. Let's do it. So, 
like I briefly alluded to at the beginning, um, string theory, at least for me, again, I don't know if it's true overall, but it seems to be, it's not as elevated as other main concepts in physics. So why, you know, maybe, I don't know what, you can take it however you want here. Like you can either describe what exactly string theory is first, or you can maybe help uh, illustrate why we don't really hear of string theory as much as the other kind of big topics that we just discussed a moment ago. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, let's start with why it seems to be, um, it, it seems to be on the, why string theory is on the outskirts of our understanding. And I think that has to do with the difference between a law and a theory, hmm. right? So gra the gravity is not a theory. Gravity is a law. We have done enough studies that we know that if you drop an object from some height that gravity will always pull it down. We haven't found anything that breaks that rule. So gravity is a law. Even quantum mechanics, as weird as it is, we've done enough experiments that we know particles can, be, can behave as waves and also as particles. It's weird, but it's something that's proven. So there's, gra there's quantum mechanical laws. Uh, can, I, yeah. can I interrupt real quick? Sorry, it, just a kind of a, a technical question. So usually when a, when a theory kind of translates into a law is when you when you're actually able to test it enough times is that kind of the the, the transition there yes okay okay cool yeah it's interesting uh you know you can propose any sort of theory yeah. you know i um i think i've mentioned before i could propose a theory that i think neutrinos entangle information with neurons and this is what causes people to have the same thought at the same time Right. But I don't have any, I mean, there's no evidence to support that. And I couldn't consistently reproduce that. So it will always remain a theory until I can consistently show that it happens and then describe some mechanism by which it, by which it does. That's, that's another important part of a law is, is introducing a mechanism as to, as to why it happens. Explanatory power, basically. Yes. Cool. Cool. Sorry, string theory. Yeah. So, um, so it, string theory is just, it's just a theory. And it is a theory that you, you know, for a lot of people who aren't familiar with it would say, well, you know, why, you know, why do we need another theory? You know, uh, string theory hopes to um, unite some impossible situations we have with our current understanding of the universe. So string theory at its, at its core asserts that uh, there is these tiny little undetectable strings that dictate particles and forces in the universe. So right now are the current acceptance is that we have this standard model um, which comes out of quantum mechanics, which lists particles such as electrons and quarks and and photons and says this is how they interact and here's a chart with their mass and their um, size and things like that this turns all of that up on its head and says that's those aren't actually particles those are vibrating strings mm. so that's a high level view of, of of string theory sure so the name itself string <clears throat> vibrating string too uh it's interesting terminology. Is that just, I mean, is that just because it looks like a string? Like why, 
why they do they term it a string in this case? Uh, well, again, it's it, these strings are undetectable, so it is it's probably just a descriptive. It, it's a it's a descriptor of um, of the of these particles. However, it's important to understand that these are they're one dimensional strings. Interesting. So whereas a particle is three dimension, three spatial dimensions, a string is, is one dimension. And the way that it vibrates causes it to exhibit properties such as an electron. So you could imagine if, you know, you have this cause, you know, cosmic guitar and you pluck a string a certain way. If you do one chord, it's an electron. If you do another chord, it's a quark. And if you do another chord, it's a photon. So these strings can exhibit properties of forces or of particles, uh, depending on how the strings, these one dimensional strings vibrate. So the string is really just a representation of something that is one dimensional. Okay. And then maybe a dumb question too, but is there, do you know what it is basically like what it's composed of? It's just fundamental. That, yeah, it has, fundamental. It, wow. it is it, it the a string is a is a string. Now there's certainly di different variations of it, and you can have a broken string, you can have a closed loop string. Mm -hmm. But again, these are just I think descriptors for us to to come to terms with a theory that again really kind of upends our our current understanding of the universe, and that is something tangible like a, like a particle. Um, so yes, and kind of going back to, to why we, why we need it, um, we need it because our two big understandings of the universe, you know, quantum mechanics and gravity do not agree. Once you, you start to, to look at like quantum particles, the gravity, uh, quantum gravity, as it were, it causes what's these what's called impossible infinities. You have like it, these things that just don't make sense as you get smaller. So the two theories are not in agreement. That is um, general relativity, which is gravity and quantum mechanics. Okay, so those those sort of are at odds with each other, and then string theory is born out of this contradiction as a way to try and resolve the contradiction. Yep. So how? If it were true, or yeah, maybe how how does it resolve that contradiction in that case? Like how does it attempt to bring those two together? Yeah. So I think let's let's first kind of think about like what like the the history of unification maybe is is, is something mm -hmm. important. So you know I think as uh, as a species we want to understand the world at which we observe things, right? So um, if I you know, have a glass in my hand and it gets brighter as I get closer to the window and darker as I go away from it. I, I'm thinking that there's some relation there. And, you know, Isaac Newton was probably the first to come up with a unifying theory saying, hey, planets, you know, which we thought were dictated by the heavens, actually go through the same motion as we do on Earth. You know, he described this, these trajectories and saying, wow, these are, this is unifying. These two are the same forces. Hmm. Um, Maxwell did the same thing with electricity and magnetism. We thought that they were these two different things, but they're actually two aspects of a single force. And he put those together. 
And then, of course, some of the big breakthroughs were, the next two were Einstein. He first did it with space and time, um, right? And thinking about uh, special relativity, you know, saying, hey, look, space and time are not these two distinct things. Space-time is one sort of fluid fabric. And then about a decade later, he did the same thing with general relativity and gravity saying, hey, um, these forces, uh, you know, gravity is this force and, and, and here's how it operates. Then after that, quantum mechanics was the next big thing that described the other forces. Um, the other forces being, uh, you know, electricity and magnetism and then the nuclear forces, which we talked about in a previous podcast. Um, Real so, yeah. So, and then also, I guess, light too, right? Where light is particle and a wave. Um, it seems like a lot of these are, a lot of these attempts involve some kind of duality, right? Where it's like light is neither this nor that, but both at the same time. Um, same with, same with the planets, like you said, connecting the heavens, the procession of the, of the heavens with the procession of earth itself. Like you're trying to bring together two things that seemed completely different originally. Yeah. And, and, and again, we want to have one understanding of the of the of the world and you know again the 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 last two major main dis big discoveries were gravity you know general re relativity which works nearly perfectly and our understanding of quantum mechanics which also is is a near it's, it's a really great understanding but when you try to combine the two you know with, with my example with the glass imagine that like you know, as, as you get closer to the window, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then right when you get to the window, all of a sudden it, it flickers or it goes dark. And you think, oh, well, that's really weird. Why, like, the it, my theory of there being a light source behind it works perfect, except right when, I, right when I'm at the window, it doesn't work. So it works everywhere, but right there. And same thing, it, gravity works great until you get to a, a quantum particle. Quantum mechanics is a great description until you try to figure out um, the gravity of these particles at, at the quantum scale. So the, the way that string theory gets around that is it introduces um, these, these strings. These strings allow these impossible infinities to, to be solved, certainly mathematically, because that's, that's the real problem is when you look at quantum mechanics and you, and you look at, um, at general relativity, you get in infinities in the math, right? Which doesn't, which obviously does not compute with us and it doesn't correspond to the real world. Because if you had some infinities with the exception of black holes, you know, you, if you had an, an infinity somewhere, you would have, we would have black holes all over the place or we would have some major problems. Mm -hmm. So it does this by introducing six new dimensions. Now these six dimensions are only visible to strings. So we in the standard model think about four dimensions, three space and one time. String theory says actually these strings kind of work in these rolled up undetectable six extra dimensions. And um, you know, it, I guess it's like to think that we only see like four dimensions or we only see three spatial dimensions it's kind of like a bird really high looking at a power line that power line from you know 2000 feet up looks like a line right mm -hmm. 
But an ant on that power line sees it as this three-dimensional cylinder, right? It's massive to this mm. string, mm -hmm. in this case of the ant, and we're this bird seeing it from above. And it's like, oh, we don't see, you know, we don't see these other dimensions. So, that seem, it, it's, uh, it seems kind of crazy that, that, uh, that they had to go for, not that they had to go for, but the theory demands like six dimensions. That's a lot of dimensions, it seems like. Um, obviously, that's probably just advanced math that it had to work out that way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a mathematical construct. And that's one of the, the major successes of string theory. Even if string theory doesn't turn out to, to give us a, an understanding of the world, there's a lot of mathematical successes that have, that have come out of string theory. Uh, duality is, is, a, is, a, is a big thing, like as you talked about. Um, and that's, you know, analogs and dualities is something that string theories really helped us to understand. It's advanced, it's advanced quantum computing and it's advanced a number of other fields. Uh, and it's important to know that string theory is actually, there's a, there's a fracture of a, a few different theories. I think that there, certainly in the 90s, there was five competing theories and they came up with M theory, which was an 11 dimensional theory. But one of the theories I think called for 26 dimensions. So, you know, it's all of these different theories call for different ways to interact. And what they're trying to do is they're trying, they're, they're coming up with this theoretical construct to try to make sense of like, uh, to, to start, they're, they're, they're solving more problems. They're trying to keep solving problems, right? They're like, oh, we fixed this, but now there's a new problem. And oh, the only way to fix this is to introduce two more dimensions. And so, this is how you end up with 20 unseen dimensions. Yeah, you're just trying to make, get the math to work out, right? Yeah. Um, so the dimensions themselves though, I guess the, the string theory doesn't really describe what the dimensions, each dimension does or, or is, it's just that, th that they exist, is that the key thing? Or like you're trying to prove just that they exist? Uh, no, they, they describe how oh. the strings in interact in, in these dimensions. But again, it, yeah, they, it falls out of the mathematics. These strings have to operate in these other dimensions in order to, to solve the infinities. But again, um, it, you know, there's just a lot of requirements that, that come out of string theory. Um, you know, so thinking about some of the problems uh, you know, it needed more dimensions. Um, it, it, string theory does not uh, predict or describe an expanding universe, which we know we live in. Hmm. Um, and it requires an equivalence of, of force particles and matter particles. And they call this supersymmetry. So you'll hear things in, in physics called supersymmetric pairs, which by and large is also undetectable. So you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, telling somebody a story and saying, oh, you just, you have to believe me, Josh. It's just <laughs> like, I, I just keep saying, oh, well, that you can't detect that, but just trust me, this is, this is the case. Uh, yeah. and, and so you're more relying on the fact that, oh, well, I can't disprove what he's saying, but now it's getting so far-fetched that, um, you know, some people have given up hope that string theory will be this all-encompassing theory of everything. Um, okay. And this is what they're searching for. We want a theory of everything that describes sure. the entire world in one theory. So, okay, so that that makes sense because something like the theory of relativity with Einstein, it it was a theory first, and then experiments later on bore him out. Right? Um, there was data that proved that he was correct. And actually, there's still stuff that he 
theorize it. I think it's now, you know, every, every couple of years or so, I'll see an article where they're like, oh, we finally found something else that Einstein had theorized about and we proved it now. Um, but string theory is kind of like Einstein, but with no results yet. Like it, it's great. It looks like a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense, I guess, in theory, it takes care of a lot of the infinities in math, but they're instead of like, yeah, instead of the evidence or a lot of evidence, it's more just like, uh Oh, we need more theory. We need more dimensions, but we can't actually prove those dimensions, but they don't, it makes sense in math, I guess is the key thing. Yeah. It makes sense in math. And it's also, it was, yeah, it's interesting because when you when they open this framework, you know, again, it's we understand a plucking of a string, right? We understand that when something vibrates, like you can get two different sounds by plucking a string. So it really it's not that far removed that you could as long as you could assert that there is this undetectable one-dimensional string and you can say, oh, I see if it, if, it, if it oscillates at this frequency, it makes a proton. If it oscillates at this frequency, it makes an electron. Technically a proton is made of three quarks. So it would be three strings making that. But, um, you know, it could also describe things. They try to describe things like wormholes. Like what happens if a string gets cut um, hmm. and gets split in two? Maybe that's what causes it, the strings trying to get back together could be a, could be a wormhole um and so the the different ways in which these strings contort and twist causes everything we know in the universe that seems very elegant and in fact just yeah. so you know most of my research on this it stems from this book brian green's book okay. called the elegant universe okay um brian writes this you don't need a physics background um, again, this is, was my background because they don't, you don't take string theory. You don't certainly don't take it as an undergraduate and you don't take it in graduate school unless you are specifically studying theoretical particle physics or you're interesting, studying. not even in grad school. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, uh, some people might claim it's, it's, it's a waste of time. We should spend our, you should spend your time as a graduate student studying things that we've proven and this has not been proven, though, as I pointed out, there's been a lot of successes in terms of um, it's, it's mathematical. Um, even if string, they proved string theory could not be a theory of everything, they made a lot of mathematical um, steps forward. And they also were able to describe the entropy of a black hole. I think it was Hawking and a few others that helped move that forward in the in the 90s or something. So there's been a lot of great things that come out of it. But yeah, can I pause there real quick? Um, going back slightly, the I was thinking maybe people wouldn't fully understand why an infinity in math would be a bad thing. Um, my assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, is that when you have formulas to describe reality or to describe certain things or actions taking place in reality, you want them to basically resolve and be you know like e, what, e equals mc squared did i get that right if i got that one wrong i i just need to stop posting um uh, but the infinity basically if you get if you come to an infinity in a math equation it's the fact that you obviously can't have an infinity in a finite universe in a universe which is you know it was it was you know created or big bang whatever you want to say and then it's going to end at some point um and so the infinity is where things start breaking down, right? Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, great great way to describe it, Josh. It, it's exactly like you stated. Um, a mathematical infinity 
there, there are ways of, of treating mathematical infinities so that you can sort of work around them. But if they're coming out of a theory, we know that's wrong because we know there's not an infinite amount of energy in the universe. We know that it is finite at some level. It could be a really big number, but there's a difference between a really big number and infinity. And infinities generally kind of kill the rest of the equation, right? You're trying to come up with some scale and it's like, oh, well, it's uh, one half infinity. And it's like, okay, well, that's still infinity, right? Yeah. Like, you just can't work yeah. with it once, it once it sort of blows up the equation. Right. Infinity can't really have modifiers attached to it. You can't say half infinity or, or near infinity. I mean, I guess you could say near infinity, but that might be a topic for another podcast. Yeah, they, they, there's something called semi-infinite, but um, those oh, are mathematical treaties. And obviously, you, when I was a kid, or you would always say, oh, it's, I got infinity. And you're like, oh, I got infinity plus two. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. That's funny. You yeah. know? <laughs> um, so then, okay, so going back to string theory, one last question there, I think, about the, the general makeup of it. This may also seem like a weird question, but if it's a one-dimensional thing, vibration, how does it interact across so many different dimensions, if that makes sense? Like what, I don't, I guess I'm kind of breaking down there if it's just one-dimensional. Yeah, it's the way that the, yeah, once the string starts to, to vibrate or contort, it is when it exhibits properties in the what we'll call the visible um, dimensions to us. Let's say the three space dimensions that we observe and the time dimensions are things that we observe. The string is, is sort of moving in and out of those six other dimensions. And as it oscillates, it's able to exhibit properties in, in other dimensions. Um, and oscillate, is that just rotation, oscillate? Uh, oscillate, yeah. I mean, I guess vibrate is okay. a better, better term okay. for it. But yes, it, it's it's exhibiting some property that's allowing it to be visible in um, you know in a, in a different dimension. Kind of like if I block the camera, you can't see me. But if I open it back up now, you can see me in a dimension in your house or something. Okay. Okay. And then the so the vibration. Do another question, I guess. Do do they know what causes the vibrations or is it just that again, it's fundamental, right? It's just, it just, it just vibrates. It just does that. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, again, this is getting out of the, my, my direct field of study, sure. but much as in, much as in the standard model and general theory of, of relativity, the, the strings interact with each other. And, and as they're, they're, they're oscillating, they'll feel each other. And it's, it, that's how they interact, right? A, a, a string vibrating as an electron and a string vibrating as a quark are gonna sometimes probably repulse each other at some point and then attract each other at some point. And so again, the fact that it's a one dimensional string oscillating is really just a mathematical construct for us to, to make sense up here. It's undetectable. We don't, wouldn't have any means of being able to detect it. So. There's no way of proving that it's actually a, a string. It could, you know, I, I don't know. I guess it's tough to think about it being anything else if it's one dimensions, right? Like one right. dimension is just a line. And if it vibrates, it, it looks like an, an oscillating string. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, so going off of what you just mentioned there, not being able to like ever prove it, how, how did they first 
this is probably too technical of a question, but how did they first discover it, I guess, if that makes sense? Was it just, like, how did they get from the infinity with the equations it breaking down and then thinking, okay, so the best explanation, the only thing that would make sense would be these, this string theory or these, these vibrations? Yeah, so um, it was, it, again, it's um, this repeated attempt to meld the laws of the large, which is gravity is essentially, it's what Newton first conceived as like these big heavenly bodies, right? It dictates heavenly bodies. And quantum mechanics is the laws of the very small. It, it's trying to reconcile both of those and that, that search for saying, how is it that both of these are 99% correct, but when we try to combine them, they completely fail. And so there was, uh, I believe some, there was a scientist at, at Caltech, uh, Schwartz, I believe. Um, and he was the first, I, I think, to publish a paper showing that string theory could, could sort of overcome this, again, by introducing these dimensions and saying, hey, mathematically, now we can get them to agree. And so if you can overcome that hurdle, you know, we just need to, to, to rectify the physical description of it, right? That what, what doesn't work is the, the mathematics of those two theories. And that's what they're trying to reconcile. That's what is, is left unknown. And so, um, you know, again, it's, it's theoretical mathematicians and, and physicists, um, you know, kind of just doing what physicists do is that's tinkering around with mathematics until something works and then trying to provide a description for it. Whereas, you know, as opposed to experimental physicists who observe something and say, God, I, we need a model to figure out how this works. This was sort of the reverse. Hey, this works. How do we, first of all, can we detect it? And then how does this, how could this replace our current description so that it makes sense to us? Yeah. That seems like an interesting kind of dichotomy in physics, which probably happens to a lot of fields, but the, uh, you know, the experiments or the experiential physicists who are observing things and attempting this and then versus the theoretical. So you start in the head and see if you can work your way backwards. Um, is that how it usually breaks down in phys with, with physicists kind of oh, yeah. along those lines? Yeah. Some of the best experiments, I, I was very lucky to have uh truly, I, I, when I worked at Lawrence Livermore lab, there was just truly brilliant experimental physicists who had enough theoretical understanding and a, enough theoretical physicists who had, had enough experimental understanding that they mm. worked well together. But it's not uncommon for a theoretical physicist to say, oh, you can't detect that. And the experimental physicist says, well, I, but I did, <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, but it's not possible. It's just like, I mean, I'm just, unless I read the detector wrong, you know, I did it a hundred times. This, this is what's happening. And so um, again, the experimental physicists are, are, are just trying to detect things that are happening. Usually extreme phenomena. We, we, we like to study extreme phenomena because very interesting things happen there. It, it's can be difficult to model extreme phenomenon. Things like I studied very short time scales. It's, it's very hard to set up experiments for very short time scales. And it's very hard to, to, to model them without having massive supercomputers. Mm. So. Yeah, it's funny when you're talking about the theoretical physicists, it, 
almost sounds like they're like the hipsters of the physics world where if, if it becomes proven and cool, like everyone's doing it, then they no longer like want to do it anymore. Like once you start observing it, you're like, oh shoot, it's, I'm no longer in theory anymore. It's not cool. Well, but and then, again, you, you need them both because if yep, you detect yep. something in order to pub, so the way that publications work, if you want to publish in a journal, it, uh, at least an elite journal, if you, if you ever want to publish in nature, you need to detect it, have some backup of that detection, and then have some sort of framework for the, again, it's, this is the mechanism, right? Just detecting it, you could end up in a, in a journal like a Journal of Experimental Physics, which is, it's not bad to be in there, but in, in terms of the, the hierarchy of it, you, you want to have both of those, the observation and the theoretical backing, which gives you some mechanism as to why it's right. happening. If you want to go mainstream and sell out as a physicist, you have to, you have to, you have to combine both. I'm trying to create more drama in the physics world. Um, okay, so... Maybe, yeah, so let's go back to something you mentioned earlier. I think that will help set up the last part of this podcast. Um, like you mentioned, you don't even really study string theory, even in graduate school, unless your, your field is particularly focused on that. Um, so again, that, that seems like in a very short amount of time, string theory went from potentially describing everything, bringing these two things together, to kind of spiraling off into the theoretical, if that makes sense. Is it, I mean, is it dead or is it a dead theory or is it, is there any kind of, like, is there any hope that it's going to, obviously there'll be some hope, but is there a decent amount of hope that it could be proven or will it just kind of be like this narrow discipline of physics for the foreseeable future? Well, you know, again, it's, um, we're in a search for, the a theory of the a theory of everything and we need we need both aspects of we need to to do more experiments we need to 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 test what string theory has has put forward and we also need you know things like uh Schwartz did where it's like just keep exploring what is 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 theoretically possible in the mathematics and then that helps experiment it it helps experimenters know what to look for and then when experimenters make a discovery, it knows it gives theorists an idea of where to start from. So it's yep. that interplay. And I, I don't, again, I, I'm not completely up, up to, to date on it, but string theory is not dead. It, it's, it, it may, there may be a big discovery that says, ah, you know, actually we had it right. We don't need six dimensions. We need a hundred. But if you do a hundred, it's, it's perfect. Or you need 108, or maybe we can do it with two, right? Maybe they're, trying to do something more, more simplistic. So they're, they're modeling it and, and maybe they come up with a new description or maybe they, they modify it, but uh, there is still research. Uh, they are still testing for what's called supersymmetric pairs in string theory. That's another thing that string theory re requires. So they, they are still looking for, if they find supersymmetric signatures, They'll say, "Oh, great! That's 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 a that's something else for string theory," and they'll probably generate grant money, and people will start doing more theoretical understanding of it. Um, and again, theoretical physicists are still exploring this theory of everything, and and string theory is you know was a contender, and with modification, might still be one. Sure. The, the super symmetrical pairs, I mean, it sounds somewhat similar, I mean, obviously I know nothing, but it sounds somewhat similar to 
you know, superposition and entangled pairs is, but there, I assume there's not, there's really no connection between those two types of concepts in that case. Um, no, not, not in, in, in that much. No, okay. it basically supersymmetry is, is just a relationship between two classes of elementary particles. So basically things fall under two categories. They're either fermions or they are bosons. And those two distinctions have to do with this, this intrinsic property called spin, which isn't actually spin as we know it. It's something that we call spin. We, we also label quarks as like, there's a color of them, but it's not like, oh, that's a blue quark. It's like, no, it's not actually blue. It's just a intrinsic property of it. So um, this basically just says we have to have um, a relationship between those two. Um, for the, again, it's for the mathematics to work. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is, Hey, in order for string theory to be correct, we need supersymmetry, but some of these particles are only around for fractions of a second. And so this is why the, the large Hadron Collider in CERN, you know, the thing is, what is it? 20 miles long, you know, it's the biggest accelerator in, in the world. They need these massive detectors, very fast time scales because when you smash together particles, they will make other particles and, and they're trying to put enough energy so that they can detect these certain types of particles, right? They're going through this list and saying, what will it take to detect this? What will it take to detect this? And if they create those, um, the environments necessary to, to see that particle and, and that particle never shows up, then that, that's maybe a, a nail in the coffin saying, you know, something is wrong with this theory, right? There, there is no super symmetric pair for this. So either modify the theory or um, mm. let's kill it. <laughs> it will be dead at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, that reminds me of, because uh, in my undergrad and in my master's, I majored in political theory. So it's political science, but it's the theory of politics. Like why does politics, yeah. why does politics exist? What, like what are different, forms of politics and uh, I most of my class is centered around just like analyzing different systems of politics and there were many that were dead that no longer worked or at least no one did anymore there are many that people do now and were terrible but we studied all of them and I, I found that very helpful I, yeah I just wonder with physics why I mean I, I get why but the fact that it seems like all students are kind of geared towards like grants and experiments without the theory. Like I, I, I agree, I'm more on the theory side, even though I made fun of them calling them hipsters. I'm, I'm more of like, we need some weird, even if string theory technically is dead, I, I assume it was still very helpful for all these things that we discovered. And we'll, we'll bring up a moment, like what are some cool things that came out of it? But, um, but yeah, it's just interesting that like even in grad school, you're not gonna get exposed to it unless you are definitely gonna study it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it is. It's interesting too, to think about um, you know, things like political theory, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, uh, you're, you're trying to reconcile maybe two different, if you have a two-party system, how do you reconcile two points of view, right? We live in a world where um, we have two, you know, a two-party system and they have two different views. At some point, are, are, are they still observing the same, they're observing the same event with two completely different views on it. So, um, I have never studied political science, so that is what probably that's much harder for me. I much prefer to study supersymmetry than. 
Well, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it always amazes me how similar the mode of thinking is between disciplines because, I mean, in politics, one huge thing is always, like in theory, is always you want that unifying system that will create, that everyone can be fine with and will create, you know, utopia on earth. That's a big thing in, in politics. Everyone just wants to get to utopia. It'll be cool. We don't have to worry about anything anymore. So you get systems like, you know, communism or fascism, which are just, or totalitarianism, which are just complete and utter dedication to one thing, because it's like, we need one answer. This is our answer. But then obviously it breaks down when you exclude uh, problems with the theory, if that makes sense. And, you know, going, I mean, I'll stop with politics in a moment, but it's funny to compare that with the American system of government, the constitution, because in my opinion, again, it, the reason it worked so well for a long time was because they they didn't try to be perfect. They didn't try to create a perfect system that would make humans themselves perfect. It was just like, well, here's what we know about humans. They're not great, you know. They're cool, but there's <laughs> if there's one thing you know about politics and history, it's that like people like to destroy each other eventually. So, what are humans? And then let's create a system that would best kind of temper. The, the, I guess, evil of humans too. It's just funny to compare those two different, it's the same thing across disciplines, I'm telling you. Theory of everything's always there. It is. I think one thing that comes up in the theory of everything it, that physicists and, and mathematicians state is they're looking for harmony. Mm -hmm. right? The same, mm -hmm. same as you're looking for, you want to create a system that creates harmony so that human beings don't kill each other. You know, the analog in, in physics is you want to create harmony so that equations don't kill each other and don't blow things up right this is the infinities that's what they're doing it's yeah, yeah. killing each other so yeah you're exactly right yeah it's funny because it, i mean it is basically the same obviously it's a lot different because you're dealing with humans and the real like not the physicists and deal with the real world but it's humans are ridiculously complex um but yeah it's the same that unification theory is always there it's funny no matter what you're looking at um all right well speaking of that String theory, what, are there any, okay, let me see if it, we were discussing this word before the podcast. Are you, you want to do it, Lee? You want to do it? Uh, are there any peculiarities? Very good. That came out of string theory. Are there any peculiarities? I, I, we could not say that word. If you're listening, try and say it out loud. I think you're probably not going to get it right the first time. Say it five it times fast and, and yeah. see if it doesn't sound weird in, in your head. Uh, Josh and I tried it about a dozen times and it, it didn't ever really sound right. So we'll say abnormalities or yeah. interesting things that came out of string theory. So yeah, it's funny if you're watching this podcast and you think like before the podcast, Lee and Josh are like pouring over the data and, and interesting topics to talk about and like putting the research in. Now, most of the time, just trying to figure out how to say the word peculiarities. And once we figured it out, it was like, yeah, we did it. We did it. Let's, let's start the podcast. We're in. <laughs> All right. So our, yeah, string theory itself, what are some abnormalities that came out of it that, that stick out to you, I guess? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because it, physics is, is a small world and, and me only spending, you know, only, I guess, spending about a decade in experimental physics, I was lucky enough to work with a, a lot of brilliant people. And, and one of those people was uh, Sylvester Gates. He goes by Jim Gates. Um, he was at University of Maryland when I, when I started there and I was a TA for him. And he is a, a world renowned 
a theoretical physicist. He's been in like, they put him in commercials. I think he was in like a Aflac commercial or something. He um, (laughs) probably would never remember me, but uh, he made, uh, allegedly made a discovery that caused Neil deGrasse Tyson to like just be completely shocked, right? Mm. He had, he's, he's like, I gotta sit down for this. Wow. And, you know, what, what he told him or allegedly, what, well, what he did tell him that the alleged part is whether or not it made yeah. him like, it made him sit down. <laughs> what he told him is that as Jim Gates was looking through string theory, he made this really odd discovery that it looks to be computer code embedded in the equations of string theory. Uh, And and those equations that describe the fundamental particles, he found what looked like error correcting codes. Uh, And these, you know, the the same sort of codes that that programmers use to make sure that when when a code gets delivered, like for your web browser, you know, probably a, a, a a sophisticated error correcting code is you type in something wrong and Google says, uh, did you mean this? Or, you know, some ways it'll just fix it for you. It's like, oh, you actually misspelled cancellation. So I think you just, I think you meant this. Um, But there's ways that error correcting code can happen when massive code bases are are running and one of the codes, you know, runs into some sort of syntax error and it says, oh, that happened because of this earlier operation. And so just fix this earlier operation and now the code can run through. He found that same type of error correcting code embedded in wow. string theory. That sounds crazy. I mean, not crazy, but like uh, very radical, I guess you could say. Man, so. So what would that mean, right? Yeah, what if yeah. the, if at the, at the, at the, fund, at the core of theories that that governs the world of which we see if there is error correcting code is that chance or is there some sort of code running behind the scenes which brings me to the thing i am the most fascinated with in the entire world maybe besides jeeps and legos and that is and your wife and my wife. Of I'm, course. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's under the bus there. kind of the de facto. Yeah, she's just assumed. It's always assumed. All yeah, right. let's let's just start with that assumption. Given the fact that <laughs> my wife is always the most amazing thing, outside of that <laughs> simulation argument, right? What what if we were living in a simulation, and there was no way for us to? There was no detectable way for us to to know that. Or is there? <laughs> is that? Uh, is did the simulation theory was it born out a lot to do with that discovery of the correct or is it already in place and it, this is a helpful josh thing. you're getting into yeah, our true. next podcast we trust me we are gonna explore this okay i mean our heart is content i think we could do two or three podcasts on this yeah. uh but it, for those of you who are listening and, and are looking forward to the next podcast uh, look through a guy by the name of Nick Bostrom. He's a philosopher and, and has friends in the science, plenty of co- colleagues in the scientific community. And he wrote a very fascinating paper called 
or about this thing, concept of the simulation argument where he asserts that we essentially are the, the mathematics of why we are living in a simulation. So wow. that's, uh, his paper is actually about 11 pages, but if you just look up articles, um, he's got books, they're on Audible. Um, he's done plenty of interviews. Uh, very fascinating guy. And we are going to dive very deep into simulation theory, simulation argument. And what if we are living in a simulation? Yeah. I mean, that is an all-time teaser, I think, with that, with the error correcting codes, because I have lots of questions about that. And that might be a nice jumping off point next time for a podcast of, of thinking more about what that means because yeah it's it's crazy if you discovered that um and that would lead somewhat nicely to something like a simulation well i'm looking forward to that um before before then we uh we sign off in anticipation of our next podcast or many podcasts uh are there any other kind of final things you want to say about string theory to put a bow on on that topic no, I think just, um, you know, if, if you're interested in, you know, if you're watching this podcast, you're obviously fascinated by the, the world in physics, just as, as Josh and, and, and myself are. And so, you know, don't be afraid of, of books like this, you know, when they're written by, you know, they're written by physicists and they're, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning and they're New York Times bestsellers. They, they usually leave out all of the boring stuff and the mathematics of it and just talk about the interesting applications of it. And again, it, it's even though it's just a theory, it gives you another way to look at the universe. And I think, as, as Josh mentioned, one thing that you do really well, Josh, is you, you create these analogs, right? How could you co connect string theory and communism, right? But like always yep. looking at something with a different lens and trying to, to put a different perspective on it. And so I just think that that is a, a great trait in any person, certainly with students develop that characteristic early on and it'll serve you well in life. Yeah, you're exactly right. That, that is one thing I cannot recommend highly enough, which is exploring a bunch of different theories, no matter what the discipline. And even if I mean, honestly, I'm a bit weird, but like, even if you already know it's wrong and it's weird, like at least just consider it. Cause then like with, with political theory, for instance, if I know all of the theories of what works well, then I don't necessarily like, as opposed to me, like just believing in like communism, I'm just being a communist without ever exploring outside. Well, then I never know like what's breaking down in my theory, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and that's crucial for obviously for academia, but also just for life in general, you need to continue to be open to change and how that may change your own mental framework. Excellent. Well, this has been a great podcast. I've learned a lot about string theory, Lee. Thank you very much for all this information. Um, and thanks to all of our listeners for watching or listening. Uh, as usual, if you haven't smashed that like button yet, you've got to do it. You just got to do it. It feels great too. just try it out. Um, as usual, we'll follow up this podcast with a live podcast to kind of cover questions you may have. Um, is that probably next couple of weeks or so, Lee, at some point? Yes. Cool. Um, and then let's see, anything else? Yeah, I mean, besides that, again, thanks so much for watching. Uh, string theory is over. We're on to the meat of physics, the, uh, the fun, fascinating parts of it. So stay tuned for these next series of podcasts, which I think will be 
very fun. Don't want to spoil it, but yes, I think it's, I'm looking forward Best to it. Best yet, dare yes. I say. Wow. All right. High, high hopes, but I think, I think they'll bear out. All right, everyone. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you soon. Thanks. All right. One more time, Josh. Peculiarity. Peculiarity. Nice. The key is that you and Arity, it breaks down.